Hello and welcome back to the My Entertainment World podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Bedard. Today we have the second installation of what is now a yearly Oscar preview podcast. Uh, so last year, if you heard that, I talked to my favorite podcaster, Clay Keller from the Vidiot's Video Store podcast about the going breaking down all of the Oscar categories as we get ready for the Oscars, which I believe are on March 4th this year. Um, and this year, anyone who's sort of like in the Vidiot's universe, if you follow them on Twitter, if you listen regularly, you will be familiar with one of their, one of my fellow superfans, uh, Dane McDonald, who is like me, one of the first people to jump on board with Vidiot's. And he um, has been a guest on that podcast and he's written in sort of commentary. And he had written in a few episodes ago, he'd written a letter about Call Me By Your Name that he asked Clay to read on air. And it was so great that I asked him to come and work for our site. Um, he wrote a rundown of the best picture race. And so we thought we'd bring him on to the Oscar preview podcast this year. So it's the three of us talking about the Oscars. Um, it was great to get to talk to Dane and reconnect with Clay, talking about sort of the new iteration of what we talked about last year. So that's what's coming up for you. Follow us on Twitter, My Ent World. Um, same thing with Instagram, My Ant World as well. Uh, follow the nominee interview series that's happening in our own awards season um, and check out everything that's happening on the site, including writing from both Clay and Dane at myentertainmentworld.ca. Um, and also be sure to follow both of them. Dane on Twitter is uh, the Devil Wears DM and Clay is at Clay Keller. Um, and at uh, Vidiot Show. I think that's what the Twitter is for Vidiots, but he will tell you later in the podcast. All right, enjoy. See you on the other side. So thank you both for coming on to the podcast today. I'm excited to talk about the Oscars. Oh, yeah. Thank you uh, for asking me again. I I love the opportunity to prattle on and on and on, sounding like I know what I'm talking about. I'm just happy to be here. So I've, I've basically just started using Vidiots to like just recruit new people um, who I think are fun to come on the uh, Oscars <laughs> podcast. So we're expanding this year. Uh, Dane, who I have just met today, but through the both being fans of Clay's podcast, Vidiots Video Store Show. So we're here to talk about the Oscars. Um, you should probably pause now and go and read Dane's awesome uh, roundup article thing on myentertainmentworld.ca about all of the best picture contenders this year. Um, get a little bit of a background. He has a really comprehensive list of like um, it, you know, who directed who stars, what the box office gross was, all that kind of background information, plus a little bit of in, uh, his own opinions on each movie. Um, to give yourself a good starting off point in case you, for some reason, are unprepared for this Oscar season. I don't know why you would be because it was an amazing year in movies and you should have seen everything. Guys, did you see everything this year? Uh, I saw, yeah, I so I've seen more actually than I generally have. You, usually it, it gets down to a couple days before Oscar, the ceremony, and I'm still cramming just sort of out of a sense of completion. For example, in years past, it, it, it gets to be like the day before the ceremony. And I'm thinking, ah, well, uh, you know, shoot, I have to watch <laughs> Lion just out of a sense of completion. Um, but this year, I was actually excited to see everything um, and have seen everything. I think the only one of the kind of the, the big, big categories I have not seen is I have not caught Roman J. Israel Esquire yet. As much as I love Denzel, I haven't caught that one. But yeah, everything else, I, I was just, like you said, this was a particularly good year for movies. 
Uh, and I was I was uh, glad to have seen all of these. I think they're they're all worthwhile, uh, at least in in some way. Yeah. What about you, Dane? Have you seen everything? Yeah, no, I'm the same. I have not seen Roman J. Israel, but like, I don't know anyone who has. So I don't feel terrible about that. Um, I also <laughs> I oh, okay. I also have not seen all the money in the world. I think kind of the, oh. the above the fold. I'm trying to see. Oh, I, I never saw Logan. Sorry. What? Ugh. What? Dang. Nobody's perfect. I don't know. I, I like X-Men movies. Um, I've never seen any of the solo Wolverine movies. So I guess I just like didn't think I needed to see it. And then I don't know. I, I'll, I'll watch it. Sure. It's like not really even an X-Men movie. Like that whole franchise is so wacky and it's so not wacky um, that you don't. I almost think kind of not liking uh, the X-Men movies is maybe more of an indicator of you maybe liking Logan. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it it takes that kind of the best thing of from the Brian Singer X-Men movies, which is Hugh Jackman playing Wolverine and really uh, digs into that character in a way that they don't have time for in the other movies. I would say if you, uh, I would say definitely you, you can go into Logan cold uh, and appreciate it. Uh, if you feel so compelled, I would say to watch X2 uh, and then the Wolverine and then Logan. And that's a good little trilogy. Okay. Um but I mean, I've gone blue in the face on my own podcast, uh, extolling the virtues of Logan. So I, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> okay, I'll watch it. I've been convinced. Yeah, it's great. Um, I actually, I was going to bring this up later, but I'll just do it now. Um, I actually think it should be, the little girl should be nominated for supporting actress. I think that's one of the great snubs of the year. Um, I think she's fantastic. Uh, Daphne Keene, yeah, is that right? that I think? sounds right. She's Yeah, she's fantastic. Daphne with an F. Which yeah. I find interesting. Um, yeah, no, it's great. Patrick Stewart is awesome in that movie. Uh, great, great movie. Um, kind of thrilled to see it nominated for an Oscar. That's so weird and different, and they're being so open minded lately. It's great. Oh yeah, it's, it's it's. I mean, and obviously we're now seeing we're a couple years into the huge diversity push um, by the Academy, which is uh, has been helpful and great in so many ways. I don't even know if that's if that's uh, related to the Logan nomination, except for maybe they invited more um, young people into the Academy. But I also just think it just, it's just a testament to the quality of the picture. Sometimes things are so undeniable. Um, and there's a few this year. I would certainly count Logan among them. Uh, I would count get out among them, which is definitely a genre picture. And the Oscars have not been kind to genre uh, largely for a long, long time. Uh, and sometimes things are just undeniable. And I think we we've got a lot of that this year. I think that's what Logan is. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the demographic changes of the Academy in the last couple of years uh, influence um, not only I mean, we can see it already in the nominations this year, but definitely in who actually wins. It'll be interesting to see how they go. Um, Mark Harris, who's one of my favorite tweeters, said uh Someone said to him, an Academy voter said to him that they are not going to vote for Call Me By Your Name because they, quote unquote, did that last year. Um, So it'll be very interesting to see how whether that um, is is really a reflection of 
anything or if that's just an old stodgy voter being like, well, we had our gay movie and so now we're, we we proved we're inclusive and now we're this year is for the post. I don't think that's going to happen. I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what direction things go in in terms of uh, – being more inclusive about who wins this year because we certainly have more interesting nominees than usual. But we also have The Darkest Hour and The Post and your sort of usual suspects. Sure. And The Post, I feel like, is only because Spielberg directed it. If The Post was by anybody else, it would have missed the cut, uh, I think, for sure. As much as I enjoyed it, I think that got... That's a that's a Spielberg vote more, I think, than a vote for for the film as 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 timely as it may be. I think what's interesting about this this crop and that comment that that was made to Mark Harris is you assume the second half of that sentence is, you know, we did that last year. So this year is I'm going to go back and vote for a stodgy old white person movie. But when you're in like the early days of a lot of inclusion or, you know, the, the first wave of inclusion, it could mean, you know, we did the gay movie last year. This year it's Lady Bird because it's the it's the lady movie. Yeah. Um, and and pe- people who want to vote that inclusion or, or are drawn to inclusion kind of have to choose between do I vote for the gay movie or the African-American movie or the female movie. Um, so I'm looking forward to the day when it's so diverse that that you don't eat that they're all they're all the gay black woman <laughs> movie, uh, but um, I think that it, that's an interesting thing we're going to be seeing for the next uh, few years. I think. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Dane? What do you think? I mean, I just can't wait for those darkest hours voters to die off because I'm oh, like I'm just so sick of those old white guy movies getting nominated. It's so it's so passe. Yeah, and we'll, we we can talk about this a little bit more when we get to Best Actor, but um, one of the reasons why I absolutely had to get Dane on this podcast was because he had written in a letter to Vidiots and had Clay read it on the air, um, talking about uh, the Golden Globes and uh, his his he was talking about his love of Call Me By Your Name and how he was so disappointed um, to see Gary Oldman win the, the Golden Globe. And you talked about uh, how... Um, you hate it when people mix up best makeup for best performance. Mm-hmm. And that is so I was walking down the street listening to that podcast. And I literally out loud went, yes, thank you. <laughs> because that performance is so makeup and it, it, it it's, it's so reflective of sort of the classic, what people win Oscars for um, in that really misguided way where, you know, you put on a prosthetic nose, you're more likely to win. You do an accent, you're more likely to win. There's all these sort of, um, things that go into an Oscar win uh, in a classic sense that Kate Winslet beautifully spoofed in her episode of Extras and then also just used to win her Oscar in uh, The Reader, which is the quintessential Oscar role. Um, but I'm hoping... Oh, The Reader. <laughs> yes, that was... that was like, Oh, The Reader. It, that was the full package. You had uh, accent, period piece, World War II, nudity, prosthetics, like all the whole, whole shooting match, all in one, one part got her her Oscar. I agree with the sentiment, certainly. Uh, I don't I don't know if I w- would ascribe the entirety of Gary Oldman's performance uh, simply to the the makeup. I think there's some interesting stuff there. I, I'm not pulling for him. We'll get to that later. I'm not pulling for him. But I I uh, I, I, I think there's also a uh, besides the like utterly transformative makeup performance. Uh, there's also um, what I like to call the Melissa Leo Excellence in Wigs Award, yes. <laughs> which um, I would nominate Allison Janney for this year as uh, much as I love her. But that's 
that's that's that's further on down the line as well. I'll I'll wait till we get there. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's just jump right into why don't we start with actress in a supporting role because I really want to talk about Allison Janney. Um, Dane, are you a West Wing fan? I I know Clay is a West Wing fan. Dane, are you a West Wing fan? I am a West Wing fan, and I'm an Allison Janney fan. Um, no, she's great. I think I I think you'd be hard pressed to like randomly put your finger down on any film in her filmography and not talk about the awards merits that it probably had, whether it was film or television. Um, but if we're just going to jump into it, I just don't think that she should be the front runner this year I whatsoever. I agree. But I, I actually don't think she is the front runner. I, I'm going to put my money on Laurie Metcalf. However, I actually, so, so I totally agree about Alison Janney. I think that she, while she, is awesome in the role it's just such a big role i think clay on videos you said that she could have done it in her sleep so true she's wonderful i always love more awards for allison janney um and she's great in the movie but that role was so huge and and so um almost i don't want to say easy but almost easy uh and and almost like distractingly uh, flashy. Um, whereas I'm, I'm much more a fan of the smaller performances. Uh, and while I think it will go to Lori Metcalf, who I feel similarly about, I think she's uh, brilliant in general. I'm all for Lori Metcalf being an Oscar winner. Um, I am a lady bear, lady bird uh, detractor. So I actually think that performance is also a little a little big for my taste. And I just spend all of supporting actress lamenting the absence of Holly Hunter because um, she's who I wanted and she's nowhere to be found. That that I mean, I look in any given circumstance, I want Holly Hunter <laughs> to be found there. Uh Certainly. Although, again, with I, I liked the big sick. I, I wasn't quite as over the moon about it as some people. I, I, I thought it was uh, certainly worthwhile. But I, again, I, I thought that was a role that was that was lovely and well observed. And just another one where I'm like, OK, yeah, if you told me like Holly uh, uh, um, Hunter is in this movie, that's exactly what I imagine I would get. And that's kind of how I feel about a lot of this category. I mean, Allison Janney is like that's her character uh, from Mom but with a cigarette <laughs> uh, and Octavia Spencer is, I love Octavia Spencer, but I mean, that part in shape of water was, um, I don't even, I mean, it was, it was essentially just a less, um, a, like a less multi-layered version of her character from hidden figures, yeah. which we, we which, have this conversation uh, about her every year since the help basically, right? Like it's the same thing and it's yeah. always delightful, but it's the same thing. The exact same thing, and it's and it's uh, I don't know. Um, I think Laurie Metcalf is going to win as well. I agree, I agree with you there. Um, my only, I keep looking at Mary J. Blige in Mudbound, and I feel like I feel like with her and with Rachel Morrison in cinematography, I think that there has been enough um, not outrage. There hasn't been a full blown snub outrage about it, but I think enough people are kind of realizing like, Oh wait, Mudbound maybe should have been nominated for best picture that where the categories that it does exist in, I think are going to get a boost. But Laurie Metcalf has so much like behind her. Oh, everyone loves right? her. Like, yeah. I, I feel like the momentum sure. is with her. No, I agree. Although I think the Ladybird momentum peaked like a month ago. Oh, uh, and I have not seen nearly as many people talking about like Gre 
Look, this is all based on, I'm not a prognosticator. I think Dane has probably paid more attention to this than I have. I just look at my Twitter feed and the chatter about Lady Bird has seemed to diminish within the last three or four weeks. Well, I've beaten my my feeds into submission on the subject of Lady Bird. I just posted so many times, don't talk to me about Lady Bird unless you've seen Edge of 17. And no one has seen Edge, Edge of 17, so they all just shut up. I think there's room in the world for both of those movies. They'd make a great double feature. Oh, yeah. There, there's definitely room for both. I just don't want to hear your take on Lady Bird and how original and interesting and refreshing it is unless you've seen Edge of 17 and we can start from the, that from there. Yeah. Speaking of Edge of 17, uh, Haley Lou Richardson sh- should hmm. be in this category, even though she she was a lead actress. She's a lead. She's actress, a lead actress, though. but they could have pulled the sneaky Oscar politics, gotten her in here. I don't know that 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 movie had two of my favorite, fuck three of my favorite performances of the year in uh, Columbus. Yeah, that that was a really well acted film, and she she's a revelation. She's one of those people who like start talking about her obsessively now, so that in five years when everybody's talking about her, you can say you've been talking about her for years because <laughs> she. Oh, that's always my yeah, move. Yeah, she's extraordinary, uh, and it's it's nice to have bragging rights. Um, on that i'm i believe we're all on the same pi- same page about having been talking about army hammer for years yeah yeah pff, yes <laughs> of course i was also on the early edge of um hey channing tatum is actually good takes ah. so that's another one that's another one i take particular Wait, pride when did in you tune into that because i have a friend who was on to him since the first step up and she's the man and i didn't believe it until uh, so your friend was a little bit ahead of me then i definitely liked him and she's the man um, I, I remember uh, there was a it was either an Esquire or GQ profile, um, I think maybe from like 2010, 2009, 2010, where he just sounded like uh, like a, just like a dope guy. And <laughs> that was also when he was in um, Haywire, that oh, first yeah. scene of Haywire. He's so good in. Uh, and I was like, oh, so this guy's got it. This guy's got chops. Yeah. I mean, my my big my big ones are always going to be Chris Pratt and Bradley Cooper because I watched them on like their early TV shows, like mm-hmm. Everwood and Hell. Was it the and, Kitchen Confidential? What was well, that called? The so, Kitchen Show. So Bradley Cooper oh, bef- did uh, Alias first, and then he left in like season three of Alias, and then he did Kitchen Confidential, which is an incredible show that only lasted for six episodes. Um, but it's perfect and amazing. He plays Jack Bourdain and his like sidekicks are like Nicholas Brendan and John Francis Daly and John Cho. Um, Cause you can never go wrong with John Cho and uh, love John. Yeah, Cho. It, that was a great show. Um, yeah. And then everybody found out about him around hangover time. And I was like, guys, where have you been? Um, Chris Pratt, same thing <laughs> ever would. Uh, yeah, no, I, that's, I'm obsessive about that and really obnoxious about that. So everybody talk about Haley Lou Richardson now so that you can be annoying to everybody <laughs> in a few years. Has she done anything besides Edge of 17 in Columbus? Mm, not that I've seen. Cause I, I mean, mm. I might be like going against the grain here, but I thought she was not great in Edge of 17. <gasps> I thought she was so wonderful and warm and great. Wait, why didn't you like her? Uh, I don't know. There was just something. I, I mean, I haven't seen it since I saw it in theaters, so it's been a minute. And I don't know, maybe that um, Haley Steinfeld was just so luminous that I wasn't really paying attention to anyone else. Um, I don't know. I just Maybe it's because like the plot point of her getting together with her brother, I felt, was kind of cliched. I, I don't know. There's 
I, I just didn't really connect with her at all in that movie. Oh, I loved her. He was cliche. Well, I thought that the plot point was cliched, but I thought as with everything in Edge of 17, they took kind of cliche plot points from those type of movies and then handled them with like an extra dose of uh, fairness and humanity that is often uh, missing. Um, There's shades of gray that you don't generally see in the um, as great as they are. The uh, John um, fucking what's his name? The John Hughes movies. Uh, Haley Richardson was also in Split. Oh, gosh. Oh, I never saw Split. She's one of the friends who uh, gets kidnapped in Split. Um, I never I never saw Split, but I do remember at the very beginning of the year, um, didn't you talk about on the podcast the idea of Split potentially being like an, a best, ask, best actor contender and then everybody just forgot about it? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's always the movies, like the first... Uh, kind of like interesting performance of the year people are like ooh oscar potential because you everyone is fucking duty bound to start saying the word oscar uh, starting on january 2nd yeah. um uh which is a little bit preposterous i mean also we didn't know this year was going to be as good as it ended up being with movies split is mega trashy uh but um what's his oh god i'm just going to blank on everyone's names now that I'm that I'm a guest on a podcast, you know, the British guy who's in James McAvoy, McAvoy, McAvoy is it's it's not um, uh, uh, Kelly, it's you probably wouldn't uh, support it for Oscars because it is certainly not a small or understated performance, (laughs) but just the sheer the sheer amount of things he has to do is is overwhelming. It's sort of like when Joaquin Phoenix gets nominated for an Oscar. And it's just like, oh, it's just because he he act like he's putting so much sweat yeah. into it. Um, James McAvoy uh, just does fucking work in Split. And it's impressive to watch. Um, very curious to see how this Split slash um, Unbreakable. Uh, Unbreakable sequel turns out <laughs> clay's spontaneous amnesia never ceases to make me laugh there's an episode of videos where he forgets <laughs> the name of the main character in the wizard of oz and i just like it kills me every time it's dorothy man dorothy mm-hmm. and wait which which the movie wizard is wizard of oz Oh, the Wizard of Oz. Okay, so let's move on because eventually we do have to get through all these categories. Let's talk a little bit about uh, actor in a supporting role, which is an interesting one talking about the idea of like a big performance versus a small performance. You're right in that I generally prefer small performances because I I often find that that's where the nuance lives. Um, But sometimes people who do the really big performances the the character is well written enough that there's a lot in there and if it's a talented enough actor it can be nuanced and bombastic at the same time and i think that's what we get with sam rockwell who we're i'm expecting to see win this category i'm fine with that i did not care for three billboards that much but um i think i'm gonna go back to this is gonna be my buzzword for this episode i feel like sam rockwell is a little bit undeniable in this he's got he plays such his comedic timing and especially with dialogue as uh, specifically written as McDonough does. I think Sam Rockwell um, performs it as well as anybody, perhaps just behind uh, Colin Farrell. Um, but he does, his comedic timing is perfect. His physical, his physicality is perfect. His moments where he has to suddenly be um, 
kind of confuse the audience by v- v- vacillating between being really uh, kind of abhorrent and uh, relatable in a, in, a, in a moment is really interesting. Um, this movie I have problems with, but I think Sam Rockwell's performance uh, with this material is quite something. Um, and he's just great in general. And he was in Galaxy <laughs> Quest. So yeah, my vote's for Sam Rockwell. Of all the many Sam Rockwell movies, you're attached to Galaxy Quest? Have you seen Galaxy Quest? Probably when I was a kid. One, it's a spectacular movie. Two, Sam Rockwell is fucking hilarious in it. All right, sure. Dane, what do you think? Ugh, I just, this category is just like a, it's just like a massacre to me. Um <laughs> I mean, Sam Rockwell, fine. He's good. He's probably the best part of the movie. Um, maybe Francis McDormand aside. And I'm fine with him getting nominated. My issues come with Woody Harrelson getting nominated because I can't remember a single thing he did in that movie except for kill himself. Um, and then the like honorary Christopher Plummer did a good deed nomination is really boring <laughs> to me. Um, as much as I love Christopher Plummer, like I think he's great and I'm sure he's great in the movie, but this is a case where like his nomination is indicative of like a news story. Um, and it's bizarre that like the only like hashtag me too nomination we have is for like an old white dude, which, you know, it's, that's a little problematic in itself. Um, no, I mean, you know, this is, I guess I'll come back to this a little later, um, not with snubs, but just talking about Call Me By Your Name. But I think not having Michael Stuhlbarg in there is a real crime. Um, because while I think that Defoe and Jenkins and Rockwell all are great, I don't think any of them have a moment in their movies that's as powerful as Stuhlbarg's monologue at the end of Call Me By Your Name. Um, and then, I mean, I think Army Hammer's great. I wasn't expecting him to get nominated, but I don't think that means he shouldn't have been uh, nominated. Because I think what he does in Call Me By Your Name is perfect for who he is as an actor and who he is like as a screen persona. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I, my big thought coming out of Call Me By Your Name was uh, obviously uh, Chalamet is giving the performance like to write home about and we will get to that in a minute. Um, But I could talk about Army Hammer and specifically the choice of Army Hammer for that role forever. Like it was so interesting to me the way that he harnessed the ridiculous like amount of privilege that kind of defines army hammer um because like on every front he's not just a straight cis white male he's also outrageously handsome and really tall and has a really low voice and is comes from this crazy rich family and like on every front he's sort of the definition of privilege and he's such a likable presence and the way he harnesses that in that character is fascinating to me um the way he's kind of not that likable he's uh, dismissive i just think he's he's perfect in that role um but i think i think uh the exclusion of all the call me by your name guys in this category is interesting because i think it's a combination of um vote splits going in multiple directions because i think that stilberg and army hammer split the vote because i think army hammer was in that weird middle position of being not quite a leading actor, not well, he is a leading actor in that show in that movie, but uh, he gets overshadowed in that category. And then he's a little too big to be a supporting actor. So he also gets overshadowed by the really proper supporting performance in that movie. Mm-hmm. So he was in no man's land, him and Stilbarg probably split the supporting vote. But then I think Stilbarg also maybe split his own vote. Cause he 
I think could basically be this entire category himself this year because he was also great in the post. He was wonderful in the shape of water. Um, so I, I think that it's almost just like a, a math problem that he ended up getting somehow excluded here. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to whatever like B minus movie he went ends up g- getting an Oscar for yeah. in like three years. Uh, this, I mean, av- the the assumption always uh, when something like this happens with Colin Barry name is a is a vote split. But then that really makes me uh, concerned about the overall Oscar chances for three billboards because if Woody Harrelson didn't get excluded for the vote split with Sam Rockwell. Like how many damn votes are people giving to three billboards? But people love Woody Harrelson, right? Like people are so in on Woody Harrelson, especially in the last like five years or so. Um, this also, it's true. that's true. It's interesting to me that uh, Sam Rockwell is a little bit younger, but for the most part, every and and Chris Palmer is a little bit older, but everybody in this category is the same demo. Uh, which is interesting. I'm wondering about the pool of actors who've won supporting actor and whether we've got an interesting um, demographic breakdown happening over there. Um, but I think actually, I mean, I think Woody Harrelson should be nominated in this category. I think he was great in that movie. I also like Three Billboards. Um, but I think that Sam Rockwell was a leading actor in that movie. So that's one of those sure. things where, you know, like it'd be great if... Uh, Sam Rockwell, like Sam Rockwell has to be nominated. So we'll put him wherever he fits. And if he fits better in sporting actor that pushes out Woody Harrelson, that's fine by me. Um, but I, I do want to talk a little bit about um, Christopher Plummer because uh, Clay, did you see all the money in the world? You know what? No, that is, a, that is the other one that I, I ended up missing. I did not see all the money. Okay, in the world. So I'm the only one who's seen all the money in the world. And um, I'm happy for both of you that that's the case. Um, I <laughs> hardcore hated this movie. This was the worst, one of the worst movies I've seen all year. Um, it, it, and it's really interesting to see just on for the pure spectacle, like Dane was talking about of the news story. Like it's incredible that they did that and that they did it as well as they did. And as far as I can tell, I don't have a really particularly great technical eye, but to me, it looked seamless. I couldn't see at all where, where they spliced things together or how they made it work. Um, and as a Canadian and specifically as a, Canadian theater person I am duty bound to love Christopher Plummer in all things um because he's sort of like our guy uh and Mm -hmm. he's good he's you know and I'm sure actually I think he's probably better than kind of Kevin Spacey would have been because you can just picture Kevin Spacey with like way too much old age makeup doing sort of some big accent or something and just it was oh well did you see the trailer yeah right he just looked so silly I thought it looks, yeah, it looks Whereas Chris Plummer can go out there and he's got that sort of natural, like I would buy him as the most richest, the richest man in the world, just by like seeing him walk down the street in Stratford. Uh, and so he's, he was good. He's Chris Plummer, but he, he's the best thing to happen to that movie. Like that news story, which as dark and weird of a thing to say as this is, is the best thing to ever happen to that movie because it is a crap fest of a movie. Well, and all, all, and in the end, all it got the movie was a couple of Christopher Plummer nominations that it's not going to win. I mean, it didn't do good business. I fully, I mean, gosh, you expect this from the Golden Globes uh, to kind of cash in on that story. Like, if if he hadn't been nominated for the Golden Globe, 
uh, I would have uh, eaten my hat. I'm a little bit surprised that that he got the Oscar nomination, though. Usually the Oscars uh, purposefully avoids the flashy and suspicious nominations that the Golden Globes uh, flaunts. Yeah, except that he's such a prestige actor. You know, he's a former winner. He is a stage guy. He everyone thinks he's British. He's not. But, you know, he's got he's a prestigious guy. And um, if they were looking for I mean, they shouldn't have been looking for someone to fill that role because it was an amazing year of movies. And you could have filled this entire category with just Shape of Water people. Um, But they shouldn't have been looking for somebody. But if they were. Christopher Plummer is sort of like a Meryl Streep where you can just plug him straight in and no matter what he did, it seems like it'll fit in at the Oscars. Yeah, oh, sure. So did either of you see Florida Project? Oh, yeah. He's actually yeah. who I would prefer to win. If I had my way here, I would go Willem Dafoe, but I don't think he has a shot. No, he doesn't. And I, I agree. I mean, I was actually thinking about this because if like if and when Sam Rockwell wins, like that's fine. I'm not going to be mad about it. But I, for me, if it was, you know, if, if I was voting, it would be a two-way race between Jenkins and Defoe. And as great as Jenkins is in Shape of Water, like it's actually my favorite performance in the movie. Um, Defoe, just like the way that he like seeps into the background of that movie is incredible. I was thinking about this with American Honey last year too, right? Like the fact that you have one movie star in this movie that the ensemble is all all unknowns are, are certainly a lot of people that they just like found um, who we've never seen before. Um, that is really remarkable. And I think his work in, in the Florida project is um, exactly the kind of performance that I love, just like subtle and surprising and, and uh, quiet. I love quiet. Um, yeah. I, if I could pick, I would go Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe is is spectacular in this movie, but you guys are right. I mean, it is like one of the most notable parts about his performance is that he kind of disappears into it, which is a little bit different for me than, say, Shia LaBeouf in American Honey, which is like he has to play a character that I'm like, man, I don't know if I would pick. Like, I think Shia LaBeouf is the best actor for that. Like, he really, like, brings something to that character. I could see this character in The Florida Project being played by kind of anyone like Willem Dafoe does a great job but there's nothing really in it that feels like we needed Willem Dafoe to play this and I think he's lacking certainly as far as his his you know chances to win going back to something Dane said about um, how none of these actors have that like incredible scene like Stuhlbarg has uh, in Call Me By Your Name, although I would argue that Sam Rockwell breaking down in the bathroom is maybe a scene sort of like that uh Willem Dafoe does not have a scene in this movie. Like he's just kind of there, which is he's he's great. He's great. I love it. But I don't like I just don't think I don't think uh, he's he's got that little extra thing that gets him to a victory. That's that's very true. And there's there's no great, really pullable clip. But I will say I haven't been able to stop thinking about that scene where he throws the guy off the property in months like it just sticks like when i think of the florida project that and the last those last two minutes that are arguably the best two minutes on film this year in my opinion the like those are the two things that stick out in my mind um so it definitely my love of that film is is deeply tied to him um but he certainly doesn't um have you know a big monologue but uh only stillbark has a big monologue i mean that that role is so singular so different than most things i mean even just like like 
human beings don't talk in giant monologues like that that scene is is kind of strange the fact that he's able to do it so beautifully and make us make it so believable and not feel overly theatrical is such a testament to his performance and a testament to why he should absolutely be in this category maybe even win it but it is a strange scene oh he should win i mean not only is it a great monologue but the content of of that scene recolors the entire movie um it's such like it's such an important anyway yeah Stuhlbarg should be in there. Dane, I have to know, when you were watching The Florida Project, in those last two minutes, were you able to just enjoy the last two minutes, or were you just thinking, like, how the how the hell did those two girls sneak into Disney World? So when I wasn't, like, mopping away just, like, all of the water falling out of my face in those last two minutes, I did ponder how they did that. But when you're watching the film, the, the, the tone shifts. I don't know if tone's the right word, but you can tell it switches really quickly. Um... Either I can't remember if they shot uh, Florida Project on film or if it was digital, but the the grading changes and you can tell they switched to a different camera. And I think that's how they filmed it. Oh, that's really how they filmed it. I mean, yeah, I know it's clearly like in 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 the context of the movie, it's clearly like a fantasy sequence. But like when they're just like I was so caught off guard by like seeing people sneak into Disney World, knowing how how difficult that would be to do. Uh, It totally threw me. I should watch that a second time. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy because the whole time I was watching that movie, I just kept wondering, like, are they going to are they going to go? Are they going to show? Because like, you know, they show the fireworks and, you know, while you can assume those are the Disney fireworks, they could also have, you know, set that up and done a whole different fireworks show and filmed it. It doesn't necessarily have to be Disney. Um, But yeah, that just like bowled me over. And I think that me wanting Defoe to win, it might be indicative of how little appreciated I feel like the Florida Project is this year for the Academy. I mean, I don't know. I think it's, it's, I, it maybe got a little bit overlooked in the larger picture, but I think the fact that the Florida Project is talked about as one of the great pictures of the year, it's, it's got a couple nominations. The fact that it's up there, I think is really notable because it is such a small movie um, yes, it has Willem Dafoe, but other than that, it, you know, it's, it's t- starless. It's a bit of a hard watch. Um, it, it, it's kind of slow. It's very kind of verite feeling. It's got, um, it's really rough around the edges and, um, people who watch a ton of movies, uh, I think had a really good appreciation of that movie and it's sort of indie feeling. Um, but in terms of like, like my parents watch all the Oscar movies, right? They're, they're accustomed to a certain amount of post like glitz and gloss on their movies. So I think the fact that um, it's in there and it's as in the conversation as it is, is a win for where we're at right now with the Academy. And maybe in five years, we'll be a little bit more open to um, stretching our idea of what's a professional picture down to something with that small of a budget. Um, but for now, I think I, I, I'm really impressed it, it made it as far as it did, to be honest. Me too. Congratulations to the Florida Project. Yeah, no, it, it, I'm, glad it, I'm glad it's in there. After I saw Shape of Water, and I alluded to this earlier, I wrote a post that was just like listing all those supporting actor contenders for uh, Shape of Water. And I agree that if we have to pick one, I let's go with Richard Jenkins, because Stilbarg, while he's great in that movie, uh, he's better in, or at least more, in, uh, he has more to do in Call Me By Your Name. Um, what about Michael Shannon? Why, why are we not seeing Michael Shannon either here or even in the lead category, just like anywhere in the conversation? 
He's being punished for doing Pottersville. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. He's great in it, but it's another like that is. Um, I think people are ignoring some of the more subtle moments that he throws in, or some of the the unexpected kind of twists in his character. And I think he's just sort of being. People see the movie and they just remember like, oh yeah, Shannon played a creepy bad guy, which doesn't really seem like that much of a stretch for Shannon. But they're like the great. He has lots of great little moments that Guillermo gives him. Uh, to kind of give shading to his character and to use, you know, his character isn't just a creepy bad guy. He is basically like a metaphor for a whole segment, uh, like a, a basically an entire, uh, uh, you know, American society for 50 years. Um, and there's a lot of, there's, he does a lot of interesting stuff in that movie. And I kind of do wish that's a good, that's a good point, Kelly. I, I, I wish he was being talked about more, but it totally makes sense to me why he's not. Um, and I actually, I mean, on the on the flip side of it, I'm really glad someone is being talked about who I was a little bit scared wouldn't be. Um, I'm really happy Sally Hawkins is in the conversation over on the outstanding actress side of things because without any lines, um, I was really worried that her extraordinary performance in this movie was going to be overlooked by the Academy. I'm glad to see her there because I think she's incredible in The Shape of Water and without her, The Shape of Water just flat out doesn't exist. Oh, she's like the heart and soul of that movie. She's everything. Oh, and you can feel it. I mean, I, it, I, it's it's great that the audience, that we all feel that as well, because I know Guillermo del Toro said in interviews that he wrote it for her and said he wouldn't make it if she didn't do it. Uh, and when you have something that's kind of, you know, taps, taps into a performer's essence in that way, where it is created for them from the ground up, um, you tend to get something uh, unique that you don't often get when it's just a performer, you know, coming into a role and sort of making it their own. Um, you just get that extra level of, um, I don't know about like realism, but it just, it just, it just feels like a, like a more full characterization. She's lovely in it. It's a, it's a, I, you know, she's got, she's got my vote. Yeah, I, I, I would love to see her win. Um, my, my actual wish list on this category is nobody's wish list, which I kind of am rooting for Margot Robbie. Um, I know nobody else is, but I thought she was great in Itania, and I thought she. This was the moment when she really expanded our conception of what Margot Robbie can do, and I think that um, this was the big moment for. From here, I think we take her a bit more seriously than people have in the past because she is so beautiful that I think that um, we've been sort of like, oh, she was really dynamic in this pretty girl role. Um, I, it was great to see her go ugly in I, Tanya, not just literally, I mean, in a, in a sort of larger sense um, and really open up and, and show what she could do. I was really impressed with her in I, Tanya, And in my heart, I would love to see her win, though, I think the safe bet is Francis McDormand. I actually think the most likely winner here, I'm putting my money on Shersha Ronan. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with that. I loved Margot Robbie and I, Tanya. I thought I, I really enjoyed that movie. I'm not enjoying the backlash to that movie. Um, I think it's, it's a wildly entertaining, uh, very energetic um, comedy. And everybody who's bitching about how it's, it's like only like, Oh, it only catches the surface. It doesn't go deeper. I'm like, it's a, it is a wild, like whirly gig, Tasmanian devil comedy. Like, I don't, why the fuck do we need to go anyway? Um, she's great in that. Uh, but yeah, search is going to win. And I think primarily because lady bird is, Oh, I don't, I think it's going to get shut out of some of the other categories that people are 
pushing for it. Really? We'll see. I I I would not be surprised if Sersha won. Although she's, man, if she wins, she's off to a uh, like Jennifer Lawrence esque number of Academy Awards. She's already been nominated three times. Three times. Yeah, she's man. But you know, um, I actually think you. I think it was you. Might have been Darren. I think it was you said on the podcast once that in five years you expect it was definitely you because it was Kristen Stewart. Um, <laughs> in five years, you expect Kristen Stewart to be more of a going concern than Jennifer Lawrence. I think Jennifer Lawrence won an Oscar early in her career, and I think that she might be on the downside already. Um, whereas Saoirse Ronan, I think, is someone we're going to be grappling with for a lot longer um but i do think bringing up jennifer lawrence we've had a slew what is it three years in a row now of young 20 something women winning this outstanding actress award i think we're going for four here um and but i mean there's definitely an argument to be made for francis mcdormand but i do think the backlash against that movie has gotten so strong that they're gonna cap it at one or two awards We'll see. There's a backlash and then there's going to be a backlash to the backlash where the people like double down. And this is you see this uh, in every segment of society from politics to the Oscars. The people who are like, yeah, I like three billboards. And then people go three billboards is racist garbage. And then the people who like three billboards go just double down and we're like, well, fuck it. I'm just it's anonymous. I'm voting three billboards for everything. Um We'll see. Nah, I liked it, but I'm not going to forsake other better movies for it. But don't you guys kind of feel that like the backlash has been against the movie and not about Frances McDormand? Like, I actually think that she has a shot of winning. I do. I completely agree. I do think she's I think if I was putting I think she's the safe bet for sure. Um, Yeah. Oh, she'll win. Because awards love her. But I do think, I think what Clay um, alluded to uh, earlier um, about this being like the let's vote for the girl movie year. I do think, I actually think Lady Bird's going to do, going to have a really strong showing. It's my expectation for best picture. um, And even for best director, I said ages ago, my greatest fear is that Greta Gerwig's going to steal Jordan Peele's screenplay Oscar. Uh, But I'm, I'm expecting all sorts of wins for Lady Bird because I do think that this is, um that's how we're gonna see things like me Too manifest is just like we're gonna support the girl movie um not that it's not reductive to call it the girl movie but you know what i mean um and i think shersha is where we start with that um but i do i do think i think you're right dane i think francis mcdormand is definitely a solid bet and in terms of just like awesome meaty roles for women that was a great freaking part yeah i mean like I, I was mostly just hoping that she would win because I really wanted to see Casey Affleck give her an Oscar and then whatever she was going to say to him. But now he's not even presenting, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Do we know who is going to replace Casey Affleck <laughs> to give the award away? I think it should be Brie Larson because she had to give him an Oscar. And I say that we apologize to her and let her give an Oscar to Ooh. another woman. That would be that would be a moment. She'd finally get to clap for someone. I'm on board. We will see. We will see. We we should probably keep going. Uh, actor in a leading role. Let's just face it. I'm scared it's going to be Gary Oldman. But can we please be all on the same page that it should be Chalamet? I mean, you're not going to have an argument for me on that front. I think sight unseen. I'm voting for Denzel. No. Uh, okay. No. What? Now you want to talk about performances that are like <laughs> 85% wig. 
Holy moly. It looks like he's got a, he's got a there's a large uh eyeglasses contingent to that. Oh uh, yeah. That performance as well. No, yeah, Timothy Chalamet is incredible in uh, Call Me by Your Name. Um I actually the more I think about it the more I'm impressed with Daniel uh Kaluuya in in Get Out as well. And of course Daniel Day-Lewis is phenomenal, phenomenal in Phantom Thread. Uh just doing the things he's so good at. Um yeah, Gary Oldman's going to win, but Timothy Chalamet should win. And this will be one of those uh, Oscar snubs or, you know, Oscar, uh, unfair Oscar turns that we uh, lament for for decades to come. I don't know. I, I, I have to believe in this one. This is the one where, like, it, they will they can do everything wrong. And if they get this one right, it'll be good Oscars for me, because since I've only seen um I've only seen each movie once. The only 2017 movie I saw twice is Star Wars for some reason. Because um, it was dope as hell. Uh, no, it's because my dad wanted. To I saw that it. one three times. Nerd, but like that and Personal Shopper, three times a piece. Oh my god, I haven't stopped thinking about Timothy Chalamet in this movie at all since I saw it. Like he pops into my head just in like one of his, just like doing a little gifable moment or that last shot or like anything all the time i can't stop thinking about that performance i it's one of my favorite things i've ever seen um i also am not a daniel day lewis person uh i had to the phantom thread was the last movie i saw um i saw it well other than today i went to see the shorts and documentaries but it was last feature film i saw um i saw it just a couple days ago i had to talk myself into going i wasn't going to go um, because my, my nominations for this year were locked and my yearly rankings were locked. So I didn't see the point. And I don't generally like, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson or Daniel Day-Lewis, um, uh, because he's so technical, so methodical, and I can intellectually appreciate that, but he never gets my heart involved in anything. Um, and that's sort of how I felt about Phantom Thread. I thought he was very good. I liked the movie a lot more than I thought I would. Um, but I would be incredibly bored by him winning. Um, that said, I have one horse in this race. I don't want any, I, I could live with Daniel Kaluuya, but like, I want Timothy Chalamet here. And that's the end of that story. I have no second place. I agree. I think Timothy Chalamet should win. And I think we're going to look back in 10 years if, and he doesn't. And it's going to be like the Leo thing where, you know, he's going to win for some like mediocre movie and it's like, okay, cool. If we finally gave him an Oscar, that's nice, but he really should have won for this. Yeah, I'm excited for the blood diamond part of Timothy Chalamet's career. No. No, I don't want him to make those bad decisions. <laughs> no, he's, uh, you know, he's, no, he's tremendous. He's, he's my vote as well. There's, a, there's a few, I would not be upset with DDL or uh, Daniel Kaluuya, but Timothy Chalamet, especially like, I mean, he's, he's fantastic, but his physicality is so, and this is a thing I always say about Kristen Stewart and I'll, I'll put him in there in that, in that camp is his physicality is so unselfconscious and unencumbered. And really, my favorite parts of his performance in this movie are not, um, you know, the big emotional moments like like the end or any of the dialogue. It's the little hesitant kind of like half step forward he does uh, towards Army Hammer at the lake and all that. stuff. it's he's he's yeah, now he's he's incredible. And it's a performance unlike anything we've seen from someone that age in a long time. So we'll see. I feel like I feel like. Dane, do you have what's your plan for the like when they announce lead actor? Like, you're, there's going to be an extreme reaction in your household when we get to that category. Either way, like, what are your Timothy Chalamet celebration plans, and what what happens? Do you have a speech written for if Gary Oldman takes the award? Um, well, if they end up giving the raw chicken breast that they slapped under Gary Oldman's chin the Oscar, 
Um, I think what I'll probably do is leave the room just so I don't um, upset any people that I'm watching. Well, actually, everyone I'll watch it with probably is the same. It feels the same way as I do. So I'll probably just yell a lot. You know, I'll probably start working on my Twitter drafts here in the next week just so I have (laughs) something prepared to go out. Um, But if he does win, um, yeah, it'll be it'll kind of be like um, when the Cubs won the World Series and I lived in Chicago and I wasn't watching the game and all of a sudden there was just like general fanfare everywhere. Right. It'll just be that, but just like coming from my apartment window. No, I, what, what I imagine is going to happen uh, is that Timothy Shalman wins and, and you, not knowing what to do with yourself, find yourself charging out into the street and you go to flip a car and, you know, it's a car, so you can't do it. But then suddenly, like... 25 other uh, appreciators of great films and gay men appear beside you and you flip the car and just start tear like destroying the town. God, I hope so. I mean, <laughs> here's here's hoping. I live close enough to Boys Town it might happen. Oh, what a scene. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll definitely I'll keep you guys posted. I'll I'll record videos on my phone and I'll send them in for context if uh oh, please. if if Timothy if Timothy ends up uh, taking the taking the gold, which I God, I hope it happens. Man, you could ne- let no one ever say he doesn't bring people together that <laughs> Chalamet. Um, no, we, I, I call my group text with all my friends now the Timotei uh, Chalamet Appreciation Group Text. So the, hold on, are we supposed to say Timotei? Uh, I, I go back and forth. So I read an interview where Timotei is the correct pronunciation, but he doesn't want to come off like a dick. So he doesn't have anyone say that. Um, but then he went by Timmy as a youth. Uh, but now it's Timothy. So it depends on the context. If I'm being like buddy, buddy, I'll, I'll call him Timmy or like when my boyfriend is exasperated that I'm talking about him more and more, I'll be like, leave Timmy alone. Um, but if I'm feeling like hoity toity, I'll say Timothy, but then, you know, without thinking, I'll probably just say Timothy. I literally just never say his first name so that I don't have to deal with that. Um, I can confirm that Shersha Ronan calls him Timmy because uh, she did a great little segment on Ellen where she got embarrassed and she kept calling him Timmy. So I know that for sure. Uh, but yeah, no, I just don't call him by his first name ever, uh, to avoid that. Cause I am not confident. <laughs> Have you guys yet watched the the rap video that he has on YouTube that he had to do for some sort of mathematics class in high school? Oh my god! I no. av- the, I avoid people doing humorous raps uh, like the fucking plague. <laughs> that's that's fair. I will say that his has an M Night Shyamalan ending. I did not see coming, but um, it's not great. But you know, I'm <laughs> I, I'm all in on Timmy now. So I just this is my brand, and I have to own it. Fair enough. Oh, for sure. Fair enough. Okay, so we're an hour into this and we've done four categories. So let's speed through a little bit. Does anybody have strong feelings about uh, production design, costume design, makeup and hairstyling, those such things, other than maybe Phantom Thread for costumes, which I feel feel like seems pretty if Phantom obvious. Thread doesn't win costumes, man, I just don't know. I don't know, man. The, that Beauty and the Beast, it might be coming for it. Fucking Beauty and the Beast. Um, yeah, no, I just think Phantom Thread is is like you just gotta you just it's a move it's a movie with incredible costumes that's about a a fashion designer. I don't know, you just got to. And as far as anything production related, um, I'm I am I feel like if if Guillermo del Toro movies ever lose pr- pr- production uh, categories, I am just flabbergasted i think shape of water is is no exception um i'm still i'm still uh upset that crimson peak wasn't even nominated for production design i think that is just just unforgivable 
Um, so I'm all in on Shape of Water. I also thought the production design in Blade Runner 2049 was uh, really quite something. Uh, and I love uh, how many um, scale models and miniatures and actual sets they built. Um, the, the, w- 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 watching the behind the scenes for Blade Runner 2049 uh, is is some of the most fascinating uh, stuff on movie making I've watched in a long time. And I love Denis Villeneuve's just general um, general rule of he just does not want to see green screen anywhere on his camera, which I have immense respect for. Um, and that movie uh, I liked more than most, I guess. But I thought uh, certainly in terms of cinematography and production design, um, be very happy to see that win or yeah, shape of water. I- I could definitely see Blade Runner taking it. Uh, Phantom Thread, I feel like, seems like a no-brainer in costumes. Dane, not to poke the bear or anything, but makeup to Darkest Hour? It's going to win, and that's fine. Like, I mean, because <laughs> I just feel like the category is so weak. Like, I don't, I didn't see, I didn't see either of the other two nominees. Um, so I, I can't speak to them from seeing it but i feel like it's darkest hours to lose and i mean that's if if anything that's where it should win and not best actor so you know if if it takes it there and then timmy swoops up and takes it sure great hugs all around yeah um sounds good i do i do want to go to bat for beauty and the beast for a second um because first i I won't get into my personal feelings on the film because i'm a contrarian when it comes to people who don't like it um it's a beautiful movie. The production design's gorgeous. Um, the costumes are gorgeous. Like they took so many of the costumes from the original animated film and enhanced them in such gorgeous ways. Like when you see um, Clay, I know when when it came up when I was on the video show, you had seen like the beginning of it and then you never finished it. So I don't know if you got to seeing her in the yellow dress, but the yellow dress is updated in a really gorgeous way. Um, they update her villager costume in a really really unique way to give her more um, kind of it's a bit of a feminist update, if you will. Um, I don't think it should win. I just don't think we should be glossing over them so quickly. Fair enough. I'm glad we didn't gloss. Thank you for providing the contrarian (laughs) opinion. But sure. Yeah. Phantom threat. Phantom threat though. I mean, come on. No, no, no. Yeah. But I I hear you on the contrarian thing for sure. I, anytime I feel like something's being underappreciated, I like stump for it way more than I maybe otherwise would. um, And vice versa. Uh, So yeah, no, definitely like stand up for Beauty and the Beast by all means. I will. I I think it's fun. Um, But no, I I agree with what Clay was saying. I think that um, Shape of Water, I can, I'd be fine with it winning production design. I think I was just a little bit more, enveloped in what Blade Runner 2049 did. Um, you know, I, I, and this isn't to say this is like a reason you should want something to win, but I think like looking forward and kind of creating a new future is more interesting to me than creating something based on, you know, what we know about the past. So that's why the production design works a little bit more for me for Blade Runner, but Shape of Water winning would also be deserved. And it was so interesting in Blade Runner 2049 that they it wasn't even futurism based on our present uh, situation. It was imagining what the future of Blade Runner would have been, like that skewed, slightly different, uh, like alt history angle. And I uh, got I, I really if you if you uh, uh, have access to them, I'm just going to recommend the behind the scenes featurettes for Blade Runner 2049 again. It's right. fascinating stuff because it's. 
Yeah, because it's a it's a imagination of the future of the past's imagination of the future. Exactly. Right? Yeah, that's bananas. Yeah, that uh, there's I think they could definitely steal it because um, there could also be like you never know his um, shape of water might come for costume design because on a very basic level, the monster is a costume yeah. it's it's not a visual effect cgi anything it's a literal costume they're certainly not nominated for those cleaning smocks they're nominated for this one showpiece so you never know things could get mixed up there but we're definitely in these three categories going to see some combination or in these two categories costume and production we're going to see some combination i think of uh uh Shape of Water and Blade Runner and um, hopefully Phantom Thread for costumes and who knows. Uh, I I wouldn't mind seeing Wonder steal the makeup from Darkest Hour. It's not better makeup. I just am resentful of Darkest Hour and would like to see it lose just from like a vengeful place in my heart. You know, <laughs> I feel that it was a f- it was a fine movie f- to show show kids on a rainy day in school. I do really like Lily Lily James. I I will watch her in anything, including so, her just crying that. on a map. That was fascinating. <laughs> uh yeah. Yeah. That was a bad movie, guys. Anyway, moving on. Um who has lots of thoughts and feelings about cinematography and film editing? I feel I feel strongly about cinematography this year just because like at this point, has Deacons like lost the most Oscars ever, or with, without winning? Because obviously, like, oh, with, without winning, possibly. Yeah, we actually did this uh, at the last Vidiot's trivia. One of the questions was who uh, has the record. Maybe I'll I'll put this out to you guys. Maybe this will be a fun little little question. Who has uh, lost the most Oscars? And I'll, I'll I'll narrow it down a little bit. It is a composer. Oh, it's John Williams then. Is John Williams. Yeah, John Williams has lost something like 40 Oscars. But he also has been nominated for like 100. So it's like, you know, his batting average is, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's been, he's been, he's won five or something. He's been nominated like 47 times or something. Um, can uh, I say he did the, he did the score for the Kobe Bryant short film that's nominated this year. Uh, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful score. One of my favorites of his in years. <laughs> I literally liked his score for The Last Jedi as well. I thought that that was very interesting. Um, were we talking about editing and cinematography? Yeah, D- uh, yeah, Deacons, I mean, god damn. Like, every single time he gets nominated, it feels like it's it's good enough work to finally be the one that wins. And uh, Blade Runner's no different. And especially the level, like, Denis Villeneuve, at the earliest stages had Deacons uh, intimately involved with every step of the movie because he knew how important the cinematography was going to be. I mean, if anybody's ever been a true creative partner on the like look and feel and vibe of a movie, it's, it's Deacons on, on Blade Runner. Um, so it's, I think, God, I don't know. There was a lot of good cinematography this year, but I feel like uh, this is as deserving as any to finally, to finally get Deacons some, some hardware deserving maybe but he's gonna lose to dunkirk uh, i suppose <laughs> didn't didn't deacons not work on arrival because he was like already like knee deep and working on blade runner yeah oh he was working on blade runner for like three or four years he's uh De- deacons used to come into vidiots uh and we would get little updates on stuff he was doing actually the most interesting tidbit from deacons was that um uh before his untimely uh passing um 
the uh, Villeneuve wanted David Bowie to play the Jared Leto character. <gasps> that would have been amazing. Which would have, the only part of that movie that I didn't like were the um, just drolling monologues about whatever that Jared Leto has. And I was like, you know what? If David Bowie had been doing it, I would have been fa- I would have been <laughs> captivated. That would have been amazing. Yeah, I think we're, we we have to be in a post Leto world at this point, right? Like, when was the last time anybody liked him in anything? It has to be Dallas Buyers Club. He posted a really good Instagram one time where he was shirtless and looked really good. Oh well, there you go. Oh, there you go. I'm uh, as much as I historically don't like Jared Leto. Within the last year, I think around Blade Runner, uh, when he has had this this beard going on. Um, earlier this year, I let my hair get unusually long and I had a beard and at least seven different people who are utterly unconnected to each other told me that I looked like Jared Leto. On the one hand, I was like, okay, because he's considered, I guess, generally attractive, but also like it was right when he was like suicide was suicide squad was happening. I was like, Oh God. (laughs) Do we think at all that Rachel Morrison might have a shot for Mudbound just because there's been such a conversation about her and that movie? Yeah, absolutely. That's why I think I alluded to that earlier is I think people are, there's a little bit of a hum building of, hey, Mudbound probably should have been nominated for Best Picture. And I think that that, that very well could trickle down to the, the couple of things it did get nominated in. She also did Black Panther. And I think that we're talking about her work in Black Panther as well. Yep, that was good timing. Good timing for that movie to come out in terms of when the Oscar voting happens. Yeah, totally. When does, do we know when the Oscar voting, um, like when the window is? I think it starts... It either just started or it starts on like Monday. I think it's like the two or three weeks preceding the ceremony. Because this is something I want to touch on when we get to the short films, because there's some interesting timing at play with the short films this year. Um, Yeah, I don't I don't know. I think I think it's it's a really hard sell to give cinematography to something that was on Netflix. I I. I just don't see that happening over something like Dunkirk that just was on like exclusively IMAX screens, really. Yeah, Dunkirk was all about how it was made. And it was everyone saw it in theaters, like very few people, I think, would have seen it on their screeners. They probably all saw it in the actual theaters, whereas Mudbound, people probably watched Mudbound on their phones. And it's a good enough movie on a storytelling basis, on a performance basis, that that is actually really fine. And I think that's a mark of a movie that can really stand up is it doesn't matter how you watch it. Um, But in specifically the cinematography race, I do think that puts her at a real disadvantage. Hmm. I think that is sound reasoning. Anybody care about film editing? Well, gosh, I mean, in general, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> film editing is an, an, an insanely important part of the process. Um, I think all of these are actually decent uh, uh, not nominees. I think the editing is 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 more a um, star player in Baby Driver and like Dunkirk and I, Tanya than the other two, um, where the editing, I'm sure, is is uh fantastic but in the sort of way that editing is supposed to be where it is seamless and you don't really notice it i tanya by nature of just that the director uses every single different filmmaking trick in uh in the box and sort of throws it at the screen um it has a lot of energy that you can really notice and dunkirk has that ticking clock backwards and forwards in time thing where just the assemblage of the movie is so important to its essence 
um and baby driver is the same as itania it's it's that 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 rhythm in the editing and that is really noticeable um which you don't have in the other nominees um so usually in the below the line uh um categories the movies that are uh where you notice the craft tend to win uh just because that's you know if you're not an editor and you watch something you go oh i noticed the editing in baby driver so i feel like baby driver possibly has a chance um this is also one that dunkirk could easily take uh and i think probably not shape of water or three billboards but my money's on on dunkirk um, I would say the same thing actually for uh, both sound categories where I want for both, I want baby driver and think Dunkirk is more likely to win. Um, I will say for sound in both sound categories though, the big thing that's missing here for me is phantom thread. I, the sound was like my, one of my big takeaways from phantom thread. Yeah. I, I yeah, I agree. The sound was um, incredible in that. I mean, I, I think it's amazing that phantom thread got as many nominations as it did considering how late it came out and uh and really? how late they sent out screeners it it really snuck in there at the end the last couple of years the movies that have waited till christmas uh it's it's kind of looked like it wasn't a great strategy but phantom threat you know i mean fair enough except that i think that they were holding a spot for it like i, I think i think that it was obviously gonna be not it, daniel day lewis's quote-unquote last film uh paul thomas anderson's always up there like i i think that they probably they knew it was coming and they they're expecting their screener and they waited and made sure they had time to watch it when it arrived. I, I, I don't know. I think it was a sort of a shoe in, but I will say the one thing that stood out to me was the sound editing. I thought it was really insightful. Um, almost like the stage production of curious incident of a dog in the nighttime, that heightening of um, like a uh, hyper, yeah, the, the height, heightening of certain things to the point where they're no longer realistic, but they're sounding, they're bringing us inside the point of view of a particular character. They did a similar thing in um, Love and Mercy uh, that I think is just a really effective tool. And it stood out to me there. So I'm sad that it's missing in the sound divisions. But um, I don't know. I think I think Baby Driver should win. Dunkirk will win. Thoughts? Um, I would agree. I could, I think that... Um... I feel like film editing used to be kind of more of a bellwether for best picture. And then they kind of started deviating a bit. I think there was a year where like girl with a dragon tattoo won film editing and that wasn't even anywhere near best picture. And ever since then they've kind of gone off. Um, but for sound, I mean, I just, I feel like the sound in star Wars was kind of what everyone came out talking about. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I just think that clay, I think you may have tweeted something about this, but like on a second viewing, you really notice the sound work in star Wars, like more than anything else. Yeah. The sound in star Wars was, um, really, I mean, I, I think, uh, the, the way Kelly described what the sound did for her in phantom thread, I think, um, that, that kind of very subtle, um, and this is goes in with, I mean, mixing and editing the sound, but that the, those ambient noises or, or grabbing, um, diegetic sources for sound to, to, build specific moments or to reveal specific things really treating the sound as an equal um storytelling device uh i think star wars did an incredible job with that um but i think dunkirk did as well and certainly baby driver did as well so i you know there's there was a lot of very very good uh sound work and editing um this year but as always what what whatever does it the flashiest is probably going to win and i feel like a lot of those categories end up kind of 
you know, if you take one, you take them all. Like if you think of the year where Mad Max won everything except kind of the big ticket items, like, you know, if if it's going to be Dunkirk and we're going to go all in and Dunkirk, maybe it's just going to take kind of everything below the line. Yeah. I'm okay with Dunkirk basically sweeping. Yeah. God, I forgot about <laughs> the year that Mad Max won all those awards. That was fun. It was fun until, you know, it didn't win the one it actually should have won. Uh, best picture. <laughs> and director. Oh, yeah. Yeah, fair. Why does Alejandro G. Inaritu need another Oscar? Oh, don't. Okay, no, I'm sorry. I, I brought it up. I don't want to talk about Alejandro G. <laughs> Guys, I really like Birdman. Okay, end of story. Oh, I love Birdman. I think oh, Bird- Birdman Bird- was great. so bad, though. No, you're both on board with Birdman? Oh, I loved oh, Birdman. No. Are you kidding me? Oh. That, I mean, I guess this is... Uh, I, we probably shouldn't get into Birdman, because we're... Birdman was pap. No. No. <laughs> Birdman was worth it for Emma Stone's, like, yelling at Michael Keaton monologue. What? That was... Emma Stone yelling at Michael Keaton about Facebook was one of the stupidest things in a movie that year. Clay, I am so here for the, like, silly long take gimmick because it was so interestingly thought out and tied to the themes of theatricality. Anyway, moving on. (laughs) Um, Can we talk a little bit about visual effects, shall we? Um, Let's talk about visual effects. Yeah, um, I think this maybe is going to go to Blade Runner. I would not mind, even though I didn't like the movie that much. I would not mind seeing it go to War of the Planet for the Planet of the Apes. I think they've earned it over the years with their ape technology. Yeah, they earn it over and over and over. But at this, I mean, really, this comes down to is is best visual effects. Uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, just the best computer effects award now, yes. or or do we take into account old school special effects? I mean, but the the amount of of incredible artistry that went into the practical effects in in Blade Runner and how they seamlessly put like blended a lot of practical effects with a lot of CGI, I think was really impressive. Um, so I'm all about that. Now, the War for the Planet of the Apes movies specifically is the effects award also essentially a performance award for Andy Serkis. Uh, that's, you get into a lot of uh, gray areas there. So yeah, I don't has know. Has he gotten an, an honorary yet? Why, why haven't they given him an honorary Oscar? He's probably too young. Yeah. Not, not like the honorary, like the lifetime achievement award Oscar, but like an on, you know how they do the special ones. Um, for for things that are like achievement in a in a category that doesn't exist, sure. he is the only person in his field at his level. So I feel like having a category for stop motion performance is kind of redundant, almost because it's just like Andy Circus, Andy Circus, Andy Circus. Um, but they should they should in some way acknowledge him, and even if it's just giving War for the Planet of the Apes the Visual Effects Awards, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see War for the Planet of the Apes taking it for that reason. Um, the only one, I, I think Kong is probably out of the conversation just because that movie was such a wash. Um, I actually, I randomly rewatched Guardians 2 last night. And while the visual effects are incredible, there's just so many of them that you don't, you don't think about it. Like, it's just kind of so green screened that that's just kind of what you expect. And I really think that you just forget about them. I think that you think way more about either the performance with War for the Planet or the mix of practical and uh, visual effects for Blade Runner and Star Wars. Yep, fair. Um, Moving on to music. uh, I'm here for Alexandre Desplat. Anyone 
have a strong thought on score other than Shape of Water? Uh oh, yeah, Phantom Thread. You think <laughs> the score in Phantom Thread is astounding? Astounding. Shape of Water is a lovely score, and I love Alexandre Desplat. I love Shape of Water. It was one of my favorite movies of the year. Phantom Thread, you're listening to that score, and your brain goes wild because you're like, what is this incredible, evocative, memorable piece of classical music that I have somehow, like, who composed this again? Like, I totally forgot about this piece. And then you're like, oh, shit, no, this is original music composed for this movie i assumed the the piece at the end was a classical are you sure there's classical pieces in it but like the all the main themes were our original pieces composed for this movie uh and they are it's, it's just a it's incredible music it's music you would go see an orchestra perform not even under the auspices of it being a music score and it's just it's the 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 way that it is a piece of music that exists on its own terms but also um is so perfectly in 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 line with the themes uh, of the film. That's the way he he writes it too. Johnny Greenwood doesn't write to um, picture; he just writes a score. Like Paul Thomas Anderson says, like this is sort of what I'm going for, and he just writes a score, and then they edit the score down to the movie, and then he kind of like smooths it out. Um, it's uh i thought I, I i just think it's an incredible an incredible piece piece of music um and i'm yeah all in on phantom thread for score okay fine fine i thought that it was mostly reusing classical stuff because it does sound so uh established already um if you're right then fine you can win this <laughs> I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to bat for Carter Burwell for a second. Um, not because I can tell you a single melody from the Three Billboards score, but because um, I don't know if either of you saw Todd Haynes' film from this year, Wonderstruck. It was an Amazon movie. Um, his score for that is incredible. And then he didn't win for Carol a couple years ago, so I'm gonna go ahead and throw a bone to Carter Burwell in this category. He. He always does incredible, uh, incredible work. Yeah, I, I, I highly actually recommend watching Wonderstruck. It's on Amazon Prime. And actually, I think it I think it came up a bit in the news just because Amazon is foregoing a physical release, which might be one of the first movies they're doing that for, um, which is kind of a sad, you know, thing to hang their hat on for that movie because it's actually very, very good. Oh, no, they are actually doing one. They Their bluff got called. Um, oh, okay. Good. David Ehrlich, who's a very prominent film Twitter person, had his his uh, his tweet about how they weren't doing it, and that went viral. And like a day later, there was a very pat uh, press release that was like, uh, "We're putting out Wonderstruck on DVD and Blu-ray soon. We're going to announce the date." So I think, oh, I, I okay, think their good. their bluff got called on that one, um, <laughs> and it sounds like that's that's for the best. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, if you, if either of you guys haven't seen it, I, I actually highly recommend it. Yeah, that's one I missed. I will be sure to check it out. Um, does anybody have? I've haven't heard most of the songs that are nominated for original song, um, but I really like. I, there's a soft spot in my heart for "This Is Me" from The Greatest Showman, uh, and I mean, Pasek and Paul are on such a roll in the last couple years. I. I mean, unless it's going to go to Remember Me, I don't even know most of these songs. Um, I will say for This Is Me, 
it's a fine enough song, but I have a spin instructor who insists on using it in his workout playlist. And I just, it, it <laughs> takes me out of the moment every time. Um, so that's a personal slight against this is me that it can't really, you know, it's not its fault. Um, remember me is very, very good. Um, I really enjoyed Coco. It wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't, I don't think it's like a top five Pixar all time, you know, movie, but I think that it winning would be fine. Um, my vote here is for mystery of love, uh, kind of unsurprisingly, I think, um, I've really taken a liking to the Call Me By Your Name soundtrack. I think it's really up there with kind of the all-time great movie soundtracks. If you think of, you know, Marie Antoinette and those kind of, like, you know, you can just listen to them whenever. Um, the, the the songs that Sufjan did for that movie are absolutely incredible. I completely don't know it at all. Um, I do think, though, Clay, this is a place where we might see your theory about Mudbound come to fruition. Yeah, I think the trickle down is going to uh, going to get Mary J. Blige. And are they all performing in the ceremony this year as well? Oh, I would assume so, because I think yeah, so. I don't know. They always do some weird. Yeah, I mean, and also, you know, it's it's always a good bet when a uh, when a person who is an established, uh, you know, giant of the music industry gets in there and gets a nomination like that's it's it's not wise to bet against mary j blige uh for this award i believe she's the only person in history who is nominated the same year for both acting and performing the song oh that's an interesting fact that makes sense yeah so you know sorry sorry to barbara streisand but you know mary j blige took the cake on that one oh yeah yeah and you know when when a famous performer also has the sole writing credit on the on the song i mean that's i feel like there's there are a lot of factors uh, that that make me. I will be very surprised if Mary J. Blige does not win. I don't know. Although the the underground support for Greatest Showman has also c- continually surprised me. So. I love Greatest Showman. It's it's obviously problematic, blah blah blah. But like, it's so fun. And sometimes in Oscar season, everything's so dreary. I'm just like, give me my silly, sparkly musical. You know, Pasek and Paul are not particularly sophisticated musical theater perf- uh, composers, but they are having a moment, and their their Greatest Showman work is. Um, better than their La La Land work and their Evan Hansen work. So I will take it. I It's it's fun. That's the best song from it. I really like um, the woman who sings it in the in the movie. So I think her name's Kiala something. I, I like This Is Me. I could see it going to basically any anything in here. Even the like one from that movie that nobody saw, Marshall. It, you know, it co- Diane Warren and Common, that's a pretty good combo. Remember Me was written by EGOT winner, uh, you know, it could go anyway um, here, but I my money's on this is me. Yeah, it's kind of an open category. I, I I'd say my money's on Remember Me just because um, in that film that song has a very emotional presence, um, and I think people will remember that when yeah. they when it comes time to vote. Similarly to if um, the song that had been pl- the song that plays over the end of Call Me by Your Name, uh, which I'm kind of surprised didn't get in here. Um, that song is called Visions of Gideon, and I think people would think about the end scene of Call Me By Your Name and vote for that, but uh, I think the emotional tie with Remember Me is going to stick with people, and that's going to win. Yeah, that's definitely what's holding me back from Mystery of Love, because I can't, I don't know where it goes in the movie. I don't remember it. Um, I don't remember any of them other than This Is Me and Remember Me, because they play such big parts in the plot. Mm-hmm. 
Um, okay, so moving on to some of the like what I call the below the fold uh, categories, um, we've sort of seen a, a various smattering of these. Um, have you guys seen any of the foreign language films? I have not. I shamefully have not either. Uh, the only one I've seen is The Square uh, from Sweden. Uh, a really smart movie has a lot to say about fine art. Um, it, it was really interesting intellectually has this one big showpiece scene that is unbelievable. Um, but at the end of the day, it's really an art film. Art films don't really do it for me. I'm, I'm a narrative person. Um, it, it uses uh, sort of famous like Hollywood actors, Dominic West and Elizabeth Moss in, in ways that kind of feel a little bit manipulative almost like they're right front and center on the advertising for the movie. And then they're in like one scene each. Uh, they don't feel super necessary, um, but it's, it's an interesting intellectual film. I, I wish I'd seen any of the other nominees. So I had some sort of guidepost in terms of telling you whether or not the square is actually likely to do well. Um, but it's the one I saw. I found it boring, but I also found it intellectually interesting. At least it just didn't hook me um, emotionally. Uh what about documentary feature? I have a strong feeling about documentary feature. Okay, go for it. Uh, so I, again, this is one that I shamefully have only seen one of these, uh, but Faces Places or GTFO? <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's kind of the, the consensus because I don't even think uh, that's probably the most well-known of all of the documentary nominees. There weren't... Um, there weren't any kind of big breakout documentaries this year other than that. Yeah. And Faces Places beyond that, I mean, I don't know if either of you saw it. It is I just it's an impossible to describe movie because it is about everything uh, all at once. But it's just it's just beautifully made. And it's a testament to Anya's Varda. And it is an it is a me, like a meta um, dissection of what art means and and uh, what life means and it's just funny and moving and beautiful and engaging and I think it's time I mean as important as I think the rest of these documentaries are um, capital I important um, I do love to see a um, documentary that isn't about a pressing social issue win occasionally just because it, it it feels like i think a lot of the population when they you know watch the oscars just get it pounded into their head that documentary is synonymous with uh something that's a bummer um and i i think it's fun to embrace the um the many different kinds of documentaries that exist so faces places i am fully on board for I haven't seen it, but uh, I, I'm really excited to. So I would agree. Um, kind of just going off of, you know, the what is the sports analogy? Armchair quarterback? I don't even know if I'm playing armchair quarterback. I feel yeah, like, correct. you know, if they if you're going to go for if they're going to vote for the capital I important film, it sounds like Last Men and Alipo might take it just because that's such, you know, a, a pressing issue in yeah. you know the society but um that would be kind of my only uh detractor from faces places that i would assume uh we just need to get uh anyas varda an oscar <laughs> doesn't isn't she getting a uh honorary award this year is she the honorary this year i mean then i mean this was essentially would be an honorary uh, as well but it's you know 
I just I just love faces places so much. I'm just concocting new and possibly uh, incorrect reasons why it should win. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Have you seen any of the other ones or just Faces Places? I have only seen Faces Places. That I haven't seen any of them. Yeah, I feel like the doc, like the documentary, you know, the in the last 17 years that we've been uh, engaged in the Middle East, I feel like every Oscar documentary has been about the Middle East. Um, I just want America to know that documentaries can be beautiful and uplifting and fun as well yeah no and that and that's a a definitely a good point um the only ones i've seen are strong island and icarus neither of which i particularly liked um i think strong island is better than icarus uh just because icarus has um it's the one about it's about the russian doping scandal Mm. um and it has it's interesting in that I, i do enjoy documentaries that start out Um, as one thing and then as they're making that documentary they discover something else and it sort of takes on a new um, direction I think that's really fascinating Um, I just think that they there's some storytelling clarity that needs work in Icarus Uh, there's a lot of technical stuff that needs to come across and they really rely on the protagonist of the story this guy who used to run the um, Russian anti-doping lab um, as our principal narrator, and uh, he's he's a he's an interesting character, um, but he's a really unreliable narrator uh, in terms of uh, just whether he's telling the truth and and his own mental stability and all that stuff. And also, his English is not super strong. You put those two things together, and then add that he's trying to get across all this technical information for us to be able to understand literally just like what they did, um, and it, it's a little confusing. Um, it's also one of those documentaries, uh, and strong Island has this problem as well, but that, uh, the, the director of the documentary, the person who made it is like very much in the story, um, which is a pet Mm. peeve of mine. Um, it's a little more understanding in Icarus are understandable in Icarus, how it happened, because it was one of those things where he was doing, making this one documentary. And then he became part of the story as the story changed around him. Um, but it has some clarity issues and uh, it also has some like weird motifs where they care too much about, like they show too much of um, like people hanging out with their dogs. And there's like a little motif about this guy really liking dogs. And at one point they're recording a phone call and someone's like, I have to go get my power cord. And I'm like, that's stuff you could, you could have cut out. (laughs) That could have been edited. Um, So it's sort of a strange documentary. And then strong Island is a, it's a compelling story. It's about a, a guy um, who was shot and his murder is never brought to court. Um, and it's, it's made by his sister and, uh, his other sister and his mom and his best friend are sort of the main narrators of the story. Um, and it's told, uh, it's mostly just like interviews and, but they also have this function, they use photographs. Um, and it's like, there's like a, you see people's hands moving the photographs and the props, I guess, um, in front of the camera, um, as if like to display evidence. Um, that's a really interesting stylistic choice. It's a, it's interestingly told. My only issue there is that, um, the director, Nancy Ford really her, her, who is the sister of the guy who died, um, her parts where she's interviewing herself, 
um, are are quite clearly scripted, whereas the interviews with her other sis with her sister and her mother and her brother's best friend are much more um, real and much more in the moment and much more compelling because of that. Whereas hers are like quite dramatic and shot and like hyper close up and very serious. And she lost me a little bit um, by putting herself so much in it and then doing things like filming a scene where she like calls her girlfriend for support. Um, but because it was so explicitly on camera, it doesn't feel real because um, if that was a thing that she really was just like having a breakdown about this revelation in her brother's case, she might not have been like, Ooh, set up the camera. So it just, it felt a little weird to me that that one, but so I didn't love either of them. So, uh, while I agree with Jane, I, I could see last men in Aleppo definitely taking it. Um, my heart is, is going to be on board with faces places, which I haven't seen, but I listened to a whole podcast about it. Seems nice enough. It is nice enough. And so, you know, I'm in. <laughs> in a in a world where Dawson City Frozen Time is not nominated, I think Faces Places is the clear <laughs> the the clear uh, uh, front runner for me. Has anybody seen any documentary short subjects? I have not seen any of the shorts. I literally don't even know where to see the documentary short subjects. They don't play them the same way that they. There's a at least one theater in town that has the shorts. Um, that you can go see sort of in blocks, the live actions and the animateds, which is what I did today. Um, has any, so Dane, did you see any of the shorts? No, I, I, I'm looking at actually all the shorts listed and I haven't seen any of them, but that's interesting. Cause my understanding, at least no one ever told me this, I guess I just assumed it. I assumed they blocked in the documentary shorts with the live action shorts, but that's not the case. No, it's not. The The live action and the animated are each a separate ticket. Um, but I'm sure there is somewhere that plays the documentary shorts, the same thing, um, where they just like put them all together and call it one movie. But the um, it, they don't they don't play them at this theater where they do the other two. Um, I guess they're a harder sell or something. Um, yeah, the same as last year, the animated uh, weren't as inspiring to me as the live actions. Um, I quite enjoyed the live actions. Something that was interesting this year, uh, I feel like the last two years, there have been very few, if any, that were in English. And almost all of the live actions this year are in English, only one of which isn't. Um, and it's a German film set in Africa. Um, but all the other ones are, there's two Americans, um, a British film that's like partially in sign language, but also significantly in English. And then um, there's an Australian one that is hilarious and bizarre and plays out kind of like this. Um, uh, this is called the, it's called the 11 o'clock and, it, and it's, um, it's almost like a really high concept SNL sketch that is just significantly more polished and sophisticated than you can expect from an SNL sketch. But it's just like this absurd premise um and it, it it almost has like a who's on first-esque kind of like bantery spitfire wordplay thing happening in the middle and it like devolves into just sort of like verbal chaos um it's it's about a psychiatrist whose patient suffers delusions that he's a psychiatrist and then it just sort of is like who's who and i don't know it, it it's kind of really fun to see something that explicitly silly nominated um, in the live action short, which can be a fairly dour category. It's often like really sad, tragic stories happen oh in the God. Yeah. The I saw them all last short. year and it was, it's a, it was a tough sit last year. That's one of the reasons I didn't seek it out this year. 
Yeah. Yeah. Two, two years ago, especially they were, they were brutal. Um, but something that is interesting is the last two years, the happiest one or one of the happiest ones was ended up taking home the prize. So, uh, this year it's sort of more of a mixed bag. Um, there's a lot more hope than there have been in previous years. However, there, it's not all, fun silliness like the 11 o'clock um de, de Kalb elementary for example and this is what i was allude, alluding to earlier talking about the voting window um and the timing it, the de Kalb elementary is about a school shooter so um it's it's a kind of surprisingly i wouldn't say hopeful but it, it's it's not as dark as it could be um but it's still about a school shooter so it's very interesting to me i think the academy is majority american um it'll be it's just it'll be interesting to me to see how mm. how that um gets voted for or if it gets voted for whether people are more or less likely to vote for it um in the particular current climate um it's an interesting issue uh I think my money would probably be on the silent child, which is from the UK. It's the one about sign language. Um, it, I think it's a really good mixture of not too dark, but also not, it's not super lighthearted. Um, but uh, it is interesting that, that a couple of years in a row now, the one sort of the happiest one on the slate has been the one to win. Um, so we might, we might see something a little happier than to call elementary take it this year. I, I wouldn't expect something like my nephew Emmett, for example, which I think was the darkest, to take it. But, um, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on how you feel like people will vote in terms of subject matter. Um, it's an interesting idea. Uh, I mean, I almost feel like that, you know, current events speaks to DeKalb Elementary's favor, you know, just to bring light to that subject right now seems like it would be something on, uh, an Academy voters mind. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it would be interesting to see. It's sort of a, it's a strange little one. It's based on true events, um, but it's just, it's it's essentially a two-hander. There are other people in it, but it's, it's mostly two-hander between a guy who comes in with a gun and then changes his mind. Um, and he's sort of stuck there with the receptionist. And um, I think in, a, in an ideal world, the filmmakers want us to be able to tap into our empathy for him. I don't know that the timing allows that. Um, well, yeah, then that may play against it. Now that you've yeah. described what happens, I think uh, shooter comes in and changes his mind. Maybe a little bit too much wish fulfillment uh, for the present moment. Yeah, yeah, and I also think we're just not in a place right now to to tap into our whatever small stores of empathy we might have for someone like that. I just don't know that it's the right time. Um, but you're right, Dane, that it is super topical and um important and people might be drawn to it for that reason it's also um the other american one on the list is set in 1955 in i believe mississippi um so it's not as immediate uh it is about race relations so it's always immediate but it's it's not um quite as quote unquote about us right now um and i do think american voters um are drawn to things that are about us right now. So uh, I'll be interested to see if DeKalb Elementary shows up on this list. I do think that The Silent Child is probably the best bet. Maybe the German one that I'm not even going to try to pronounce, um, subtitled All of Us, uh, which is quite a lovely story, um, although a a scary story about um, 
the border between two African countries um, where Christians get attacked by Muslim militants uh, often. And this one particular bus that got uh, essentially hijacked or stopped and attacked and um, all of the Muslims on the, on the bus sort of threw um, in, in the, the particular character that we're following is a woman and the woman sitting next to her, the Muslim woman sitting next to her threw a hijab on her um, when the, the, when the bus got boarded to basically save her life. So all of the Muslim characters, um, protected all of the Christian characters and wouldn't turn them in and, and pretended that they were fellow Muslims to protect them from these militants. It was, it was really a beautiful, affecting story. Um, so I'm very interested to see what happens in live action animated, um, Lou is the Dane and I were talking about this a little bit uh, before we hopped on the mics. Uh, Lou is the sort of standard Pixar entry. It's about a lost and found um, box, I guess. It's fine. It's not as good as say Feast or Feast is my favorite Pixar short, but uh, it, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not one of the great Pixar shorts, but it's, it's still pretty solid. Um, Dear Basketball is cute. It's the Kobe Bryant. It's very. It's. Um, it's it looks hand drawn. I'm sure it is computer animated, but it, it's sort of in the style of like a sketchbook almost. Uh, again, with the John Williams score, it's a very romantic, very nostalgic kind of personal diary entry about Kobe Bryant's love of basketball, uh, which is interesting. My money would go to Negative Space, which is a stop motion thing about um, grief and luggage, uh, which was quite beautiful. And then the other thing is Garden Party that. Um, is uh very strange it's basically just like frog various frogs that overrun this estate uh where someone some something has gone very wrong and this estate is like there's been clearly been like a crime committed there um but what we're watching is just like frogs having silly misadventures on the ground it's a weird one um and then revolting rhymes is just like a an english uh, animated thing with a bunch of big English talent. Uh, it's a rolled doll fairy tale thing that was kind of boring and pretty standard and fine. So who knows for that? I, my money would be on maybe negative space. Um, although it'd be really funny to see deer basketball win because I just, I'd love to, I haven't seen it, but I'd almost love to see deer basketball win because, um, Glenn Keane, who is a Disney legend who worked on, Oh God! I mean, he worked on so much. He worked on Little Mermaid. He worked on Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, Pocahontas, so much. Um, he actually is, I think, co. He directed Dear Basketball. Yeah, yeah. He and he he animated it and directed it. So he's basically um, like the co. It, it's it's a two man show. Obviously, there are other people who are involved, but um, certainly in the credits, it's really those two guys. And and he, it's beautifully drawn. You can see. Um, that kind of legacy in in the animation um, on a on a narrative front, it, it's it's pretty over romanticized, uh, especially considering the problematic history of Kobe Bryant. But it's an interesting one, uh, certainly, and it and it's definitely the highest profile thing in um, the entire short film mm-hmm. division. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, moving on to animated feature, we talked about Coco a little bit. I loved Coco. Uh, I've also seen The Breadwinner. It's fine. Um, uh, it's not that interesting, though. Has anybody seen any of the others? Uh, I have not. 
Did you see Coco play? No. Oh, no. I know. I I have not seen any of the animated uh, ones this year. Oh, well. (laughs) Um, It was lovely. I loved Coco. Dane, what did you think of Coco in the larger sense? Um, I loved Coco. I thought it was really good. Um, I don't think it's one of my favorite Pixar's. Um, I felt that the first and second act dragged a little bit and I was kind of, I mean, I was along for the ride, but I wasn't loving it. And then that third act is a real, a real sucker punch to the gut. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I think it's the deserved winner in this category, but um, I think it's also kind of a weak year for animation, which um, unsurprising just because I think last year between having uh, Moana and Finding Dory and uh, Zootopia, Pixar or Disney really had like a, a real banner output year. Uh, even though I didn't care for Finding Dory that much, and it actually didn't get nominated. Um, but yeah, this is just the year where you know Disney put out the best one, so they're going to give it to Disney. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, as long as it doesn't go to... I mean, I didn't see Boss Baby, but not to be prejudiced against Boss Baby, but Boss Baby is nominated for an Oscar? Yeah, it's really weird. So strange. All right, let's move on to the big categories. Um writing adapted so adapted screenplay i i don't know my heart says logan for some reason my brain suggests that it might actually go to the disaster artist so we'll see what do you think i think the disaster artist uh has a bit of an anchor around its neck uh named james franco uh which i think could sadly uh, end up harming uh scott newstetter and michael h weber although i wasn't a huge disaster artist fan i thought it was fine um uh, Molly's Game, that's an obligatory nomination. I enjoyed it because I'm a Sorkin head, but it's not a towering work. Um, yeah, it's not even close to his best work. If he wins no. for that, I'll be disappointed, um, even though I love him. I love Logan. I love the idea that uh, a um, superhero property, one, could be made that well, and two, could be uh, up for adapted screenplay. I think uh, I have not read the book, Call Me By Your Name, but from what I've heard about the process of adapting this book and the changes that James Ivory made. Uh, and just that it's a great movie. I think call me by your name would certainly be a deserving winner. Uh, and who doesn't want to see 89 year old James Ivory get up, get up there one more time. Um, so yeah. And Mudbound would also be deserving. So uh, there's a, there's a couple of good ones in here. Uh, like you, Kelly, I would be just tickled to see Logan win, but, um, call me by your name and Mudbound both very deserving. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all in on Call Me By Your Name, but I don't want to shock anyone here. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I'm i interested in the in the screenplay of that, though, because I don't... Um, it, the, certainly the, the screenplay didn't stand out to me when I saw it. It was all about the, the direction and the performances. I haven't read the book either. I do know that some people have some problems with um, certain omissions and certain things that were in the adaptation, so... I don't know how beloved the book is, how many of the re- how many of the voters are going to be people who have those nitpicks or whether they care at all. Um, but certainly it's it's the best film of uh, on this list. I think adapted screenplay is not the strongest category this year. Um, I don't know. I, I think Mudbound was an incredible screenplay. Uh, the screenplay was something that stood out to me in that one. Uh, but I think you're right. I think Call Me By Your Name is is the strongest film. I'd like to see Logan. I, again, would not be that surprised to see The Disaster Artist, especially because 
I don't, I don't know how much the Academy really does care about things like James Franco. Certainly if we're going to give the Oscar to Gary Oldman, we're definitely not caring about anything. Well, I think if you're looking for excuses to whittle things down, I think that's when controversies, uh, come in more and James Franco is maybe not as beloved by the uh, establishment as Gary Oldman is. I think uh, one last thing for calling by your name. I I, I really do think that that provides the voters a chance to vote for a, you know, vote for both the gay movie and vote for the old establishment beloved Hollywood figure uh, in James Ivory. So I think you get to check two boxes with 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 uh, that one. I, I'm feeling very strongly about Call Me By Your Name's uh, chances, particularly because it's definitely not going to win Best Picture. And um, screenplay, I feel like, is f- very frequently where people get to place their sort of like second place Best Picture vote. Yeah, that's fair. Um, that said, I think that original screenplay is maybe going to be predictive um, even more than usually it's director that's predictive, but I'm going to say original screenplay is going to be our best picture winner. Um, thoughts? I I mean, I think it could go to basically anybody but the big sick. I'd like Get Out. I predict Lady Bird. I'm the opposite. I think it's going to go to, uh, I think it's going to go to Get Out. Yeah? Yeah, I just, I think that I think the rumblings for Get Out are kind of, you know, slow and steady, but strong. And I think that, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that original screenplay kind of always goes to kind of what Clay was saying about um, adapted screenplay. I feel like original screenplay always goes to that, like, kind of kooky, kind of out there film that, you know, we, we would never give it best picture, even though this year that might prove different. But, you know, if you think about, her winning or eternal sunshine winning you know they always kind of give it to these high concept films and i think get out is that film this year i i agree with dane and i i think i mean between original screenplay and director and picture god i almost think we live in a world where three different movies could win all of those i i'm going to proceed from from this point for these last few categories um living in the uh, sort of more beautiful alternate reality where three billboards is not the front runner for everything. Uh, as much as I love Martin McDonough, I think it's possible. I think it's possible screenplay director and picture all go to different movies. I think it's, I think it's possible that get out wins best screenplay. Greta Gerwig wins best uh, director and shape of water wins best picture or that Guillermo wins best director and lady bird wins best picture. I think any combination of Shape of Water, Get Out, and Lady Bird in those top three categories is possible. I think you're. I think you're absolutely right. Um, I, 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 yeah, no, I, I just think you're completely right on that. So why don't we just talk about all three together in general? Um, do we think? I mean, there. The, this is sort of the the big question going into the Oscars this year. Really, I think has a lot to do with how on board are the Oscar voters with three billboards? Um, because I think that if they are really on board, uh, especially if they're doing the back, the backlash backlash thing you mentioned, if they're lining up with the golden globes, um, it, it'll dramatically change. Uh, they'll, they'll steal a bunch of these. Um, if we can take it totally out of the running, then we have these three categories limited down to these three big movies. Um, and I think it's very it, it's possible that Shape of Water takes all three. It's possible we see a three-way split. 
um, really any, any combination between those three, but do you think that there's any other films, uh, that could be spoilers here? Uh, I mean, if there's one, I'd say it's Dunkirk just because, you know, I, Nolan has a lot of fans out there. And I think that, you know, this is kind of his first film that we're really, it's his first best director nomination, which seems crazy, not because I think he's deserved it before, but just because people just love Christopher Nolan. Um, so yeah. I see, I see Dunkirk as a potential spoiler, but I think that the likelihood of Get Out, Lady Bird, or Shape of Water winning is higher than those, than that film. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I, I mean, I agree. That's that's my feeling, although I've seen some, some of the professional award prognosticators saying that, you know, like, I've been hearing from a lot of voters that Dunkirk is going to do well. So, I mean, it's possible that Dunkirk swoops in and is a major spoiler, uh, I guess. That's just, I mean... I don't know. I don't know. It could prove us all. It could prove us all wrong, but I'm getting, I'm definitely getting, um, I feel like if the more quote unquote Hollywood or establishment movie wins, it's going to be the shape of water. So I'm not feeling, (laughs) which I love a world in which that's the Hollywood establishment movie. (laughs) It's look, if the, if the Hollywood establishment movie, uh, is a weirdo uh, like retro sci-fi about a fish man. And it was directed by Guillermo del Toro. Um, man, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine with me. Yeah. We're doing okay. If that's the, if that's the case. Um, yeah. I think, I think what we're general consensus is though, these top three categories are going to go to some combination of Ladybird, get out and shape of water. Um, I, I, I want to say shape of water is probably our front runner based on the earlier awards. Uh, hard to say. I think politically we're we're headed towards a Lady Bird uh, Best Picture win, but that's also because I like to set myself up with low expectations because I didn't like Lady Bird. So that way I can be pleasantly surprised or proven right. Either way, it's a win for me. I love a Lady Bird Best Picture win, but for the complete opposite reason. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because I, I mean, I personally would would be pulling for Call Me by Your Name, but I'm also realistic, and I know it's not going to win. Um, and Lady Bird was my on my number two on my top ten of the year, um, but kind of for the same political reasons you were talking about Lady Bird winning, I'm sensing a Get Out win, um, and then the momentum also behind Get Out being that it was a huge surprise hit of the year, and I think without any close competition, well, I guess I think it I think it grossed slightly higher than Dunkirk, but it it did Dunkirk also made some money too, so I think that Get Out has the critical attraction, the timeliness, and you know, it was also a hit with, uh, with movie going audiences. So that's where, that's where Get Out kind of ekes forward for me. Yeah. I would definitely like to live in a world where Get Out wins best picture and the, the buzz around Dunkirk is just, it, it's going to win cinematography and that'll stay over in there, in that corner over there. Um, that's all they mean by that. That'd be great. Uh, yeah. I, I'm inclined to agree with, uh, I'm inclined to agree with, with, with Dane. I, I feel like Get Out is is building and they're they're doing a full re-release into theaters this week or next week as well so it's it's something that's that uh you know the oscars when when they can combine prestige with a hundred million dollars they they like to do that i believe it's getting re-released tomorrow and you can see it for free at amc theaters holy mackerel wow for free so Why? i have to work but if you guys don't have to work head on over to your local amc that's awesome um, all right. Does anybody have any closing thoughts about this year's Oscar race? 
Uh, no, not really. I mean, I, I would love to see, um, Lady Bird and Get Out win all the top stuff. Um, if, if we don't go with one of those and it's like a shape of water sweep, I mean, God, I, I would love to see Guillermo, uh, give as many, uh, one of the great joys in life is watching Guillermo del Toro give accepted speeches. Uh, (laughs) so I would love that. I mean, I, I hate to be, to turn into a vocal uh, opponent of, of, of something from a filmmaker that I adore, but three billboards, I just really felt was sour and ill-timed. Uh, and I, don't, I just, I, aside from Sam Rockwell, I'm not, I'm not on board with that, um, but it's a strong, it's a strong uh, pack of contenders this year. So I, I feel like there's very few, unless something goes terribly, terribly wrong. I feel like um, there won't be too many complaints with the winners come come Oscar night. Yeah, I think that we have a couple random outlier nominees like the darkest like darkest hour um and maybe Dunkirk depending on on the on the category cuz it certainly deserves to win some things. But other than things like darkest hour that are are seem like outliers to me, I think it is really I liked three billboards. Uh so I think it's really hard to go wrong this year. We it was such an incredible year of movies that um at a certain point just yeah, who cares? I, this year was such a gift artistically, so let's just like celebrate them all. Like, <laughs> give it, give, give Timothy Chalamet an Oscar, and then we'll call it a day from there. I don't care. <laughs> Everybody else can take whatever Oscars they want. <laughs> yeah, they 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 put Best Actor um, kind of earlier in the ceremony now, I, I believe. So if if he wins, uh, everybody will be too busy. Um, just blasting each other with champagne to pay attention to the rest of the ceremony anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I won't even, I won't pay attention to anything after that. Dane, what about you? Yeah, no, this, I think this was one of the strongest years we've had for film in a while. So I, I'm just, you know, I think I'd love to go in. Uh, I'd love to see a, a few surprises. I'd love to see um, Chalamet kind of surprise and win. Um, the less I hear darkest hour get called the better. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm I'm really excited to see uh, see who wins, and I'd love to see um, I'd love to see either Greta or Jordan uh, pull out a best director win. That would be kind of right below seeing Timmy win, as far as what I'd hope to see. My big question is: Do they bring Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway back to present Best Picture? <gasps> oh, they really should. That'd be really funny. They totally should. I, 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 if we didn't get to see Janet Jackson at the Super Bowl this year, then we need that at least. Yeah. That, f- yeah. that feels like something Jimmy Kimmel would. Oh, is, is it Jimmy Kimmel again? I think it yeah, is. Yeah, it is. Isn't yes. It? Yeah. Yeah. That's he, I, 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 I'm a, I almost would be shocked if that doesn't happen. <laughs> uh, the best, whatever bit they do when they announce best picture is going to be very self-referential and very funny. I'm sure. Hopefully. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to it. So before we sign off, Clay, what's coming up with Vidiots? What is coming up with Vidiots? Uh, so on Vidiots Video Store Show uh, this week, um, so episode going to be up Tuesday, late Monday, early Tuesday. We're talking about uh, Guillermo del Toro. I have never seen his first film, Kronos. And believe it or not, uh, my co-host, Ryan Marker, has never seen Pan's Labyrinth, which is mind-blowing to me on many levels one it's a terrific movie and two it was a massive hit when it came out um so i'm very surprised about that so anyway we're filling in the holes in our guillermo del toro knowledge uh that's going to be the next episode of video's video store show 
Uh, and yeah, the next Vidiot's Trivia for people in Los Angeles is going to be mid-March, either the 11th or the 18th. We haven't locked that down yet, but you can follow us on Twitter to kind of see the updates on that. Okay, so everybody be sure to uh, subscribe to Vidiot's on uh, iTunes because uh, both Dane and I do because we're like the original fans take our endorsement. <laughs> yeah, you guys are OG. Yeah, and it's yeah, if, if you are trying to find the show, it's uh, you, there's a couple other things that uh, have kind of uh, horked in on the name Vidiot's. Um, so it's Vidiot's Video Store. I think if you type that much, you'll you'll find us yeah you can also like search clay's name and there's there's ways to find you um all right everybody social media plugs go my twitter's at clay keller uh the podcast is at vidiot's show um that's all i've got for social media are you still doing is the 100 still a thing oh blood must talk about blood uh well we'll see the new season comes out in a few months so that'll be sort of a game time decision Okay, uh, Dane is Devilwares DM on Twitter. I'm pretty sure that's right. Uh, and so be sure to follow him. He's lots of fun. And be sure to check out myentertainmentworld.ca. We have our nominee interview series happening right now where we're interviewing dozens and dozens of the nominees from the uh, Theater, Film, and Television Critics Picks Awards, uh, which will be uh, announced in April. The winners of those will be up in April. In the meantime, we have new interviews going up pretty much on the daily. Uh, lots of other content going up news reviews editorials all that kind of stuff shakespeare series is ongoing on the on the podcast so be sure to subscribe on itunes to the my entertainment world podcast uh follow us on twitter and instagram at my end world my ent world uh and uh be sure to check out patreon.com slash my ent world to find out how you can support the podcast the site and all the great things that we're doing there both of these guys are on our staff page so if you donate to our patreon you will be helping them out directly uh because 90 percent of our proceeds from that go directly to our writers uh so thanks for checking that out guys any final things you wanted to say uh final things well i think is dane do we have dane back here now Clay, I can hear you. I don't know if I can hear Kelly. Oh, I have Dane. So I've got, so D Dane, just enjoy. I'll, sp I'll speak for the both of us here. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, thank you uh, again this year for having us on. I love, I, I don't think uh, my co-host on Vidiots would ever put up with this much of a deep dive on the Oscars. Um, so it's, <laughs> I'm glad to have an outlet for this, uh, for this uh, conversation. And um, yeah, I'm so pleased. I'm just tickled that you guys, uh, have found each other and are collaborating. I feel like a, like a, like a proud father. <laughs> Was that your intention when you started the podcast? Did you think that would happen? <gasps> Weird. Okay. All right. Well, thanks so much guys. Thank you, Kelly.